This is the Forbes Interview, Season 2. I'm your host, Stephen Bertoni. This show is for anyone with an entrepreneurial passion, looking for inspiration from established and -and up-and-coming business pioneers. Coming up, a pioneer who helped launch the on-demand and delivery revolution, Bastian Lehman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Postmates, and the guy who built a billion-dollar business delivering food, booze, and groceries right to your door. But first, this podcast is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp's all-in-one marketing platform allows you to manage more of your marketing activities from one place so you can market smarter and grow faster. Today, I'm sitting down with Bastian Lehman, who is the CEO of food delivery company Postmates. Thanks for coming to the studio. Uh, thanks for having me. You're a delivery company. You're a logistics company. Um, even the old school places like uh, you know FedEx and UPS have to go through all these systems of even to the fact that the driver doesn't put his, the keys in his pocket, all that kind of stuff. Like all these little micro micro efficiencies like add up when you're delivering you know millions of times. Tell me about this like this you know this route. Um, efficiency and kind of the strategic stuff that we don't know about when we order Postmates. Like, what's like the cool stuff that people don't realize goes into like baking this whole thing? It's a million things that happen at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. On on the surface, it looks extremely simple. There's an app. You select a place. You press a button, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you get your items delivered within 27 minutes. What happens behind the scenes is that there is a lot of calculations happening in regards to the food prep time. Which Postmates, that's what we call our couriers, is best positioned to do the order. We want them to arrive just in time at the moment when the restaurant has finished the meal. Mm-hmm. More often than not, we want them to pick up more than one order. Uh, that is what we talk about when we talk about route efficiency. It's the idea that we can utilize a postmate more. Mm-hmm. As a return, he will have a higher income. He will get compensated more by doing more deliveries per hour. And hopefully you as a customer uh, will have a better experience because we get better at routing the orders to the right postmates Mm -hmm. and understanding preparation times, food preparation times at the restaurants a lot better. So there's a ton of signals that go into this little app, a ton of them that we use to get the food to you faster and warmer. There's so much competition out there, and why would someone use Postmates versus Grubhub versus Uber Eats, and what's kind of what's your strategy there, and how do you make a name for yourself? There's a couple of points. Postmates has by far the broadest selection from any food delivery company mm-hmm. out there. Last year, we delivered from almost 300,000 individual merchants. Uh, that is a remarkable number, mm-hmm. and that's important because for the American consumer, choice is the number one determining factor to pick a food delivery mm-hmm. app. We have a membership program, Postmates Unlimited, which is very successful, and over a third of all orders are coming from members today. What is the most unusual thing you guys have ever delivered? You know, I, I, it changed a lot. So uh, at the beginning, when the platform was, was truly open, you may yeah. remember that we, we started by having almost no merchant relationships, period. And over time, it became clear to us that people want, want um, prepared food the most. Mm-hmm. But they were able to order from virtually any place. And they still can to a certain extent. It's just the experience is more controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did deliveries from Tiffany's. We delivered wedding and engagement rings. Um, uh, we delivered, uh, uh, you know, I, I said this before, I believe, uh, we had a pregnancy test and a bottle of champagne All in right. one order, which was really <laughs> funny. And there was lots of guessing in the office if the bottle of champagne is because someone wanted to get pregnant or not. So I guess you could celebrate either way. You can celebrate either yes. way. I get whatever you fancy. Yes. Tell me about the kind of the evolution of the company. This is interesting because you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you obviously grew up in Germany. How did you find your way in, into this idea? 
in this company. So the 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 very origin of Postmates comes from, uh, I believe it was the year two thousand and two, when I when I still lived in Germany mm-hmm. and I just accepted a job offer uh, in London. So you know how that is. You you travel between countries. You don't take all of your stuff, right? Yeah. So in my case, most of my stuff I put in a van and shipped it to my parents' place. Mm-hmm. They forgot to take my snowboard. So the, the, the story really is that I, I didn't want it to throw it away. I also didn't want it to take it with me to England because there is not very many mountains Not there. many mountains, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I called a few of my friends, and ultimately I found someone who delivered it to my mom. Okay. And that, that, that actually got me thinking about the idea, what if there is a ride-sharing for stuff? Like a place where instead of taking another person somewhere, let's just say to a different city, mm-hmm. that's the sort of ride-sharing that existed at the time in Germany. Why don't you Why don't you take someone's items? And this is two thousand two. You said this is two thousand two. So this is when like a lot of people don't even have cell phones, and if they do, it's a it's a the old school Nokia kind of brick kind of thing. So you're you're thinking of this kind of sharing thing way before you know a, a decade before you know kind of Uber and other things became and iPhones made these things kind of popular. That's correct, and and that was also our challenge. Mm-hmm. It, it really, the world looked like Nokia Series sixty and brew phones and and yeah. very very basic version mm-hmm. of a map program on it. So how do you coordinate yeah. between three people that have never met each you other? You said the snake game. That's all you had. You, you you had a little more. You had yeah. like WAP browsers, I believe, yeah. right? And 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 ringtones. Yes. So okay. So take me two thousand two. I mean, obviously, you launched the company in 2011. So what happened in between? Was it something you thought about? Was it something you tried to work on? I think you took a, a couple of normal normal day jobs as well, right? Yeah, I worked in consulting for four years okay. in, in London. But it was one of these ideas, you know, we couldn't realize it in 2002. And obviously, it, it changed dramatically yeah. to what we have today. But, uh, you know, I have these ledgers of ideas mm-hmm. and the good ones, they constantly resurface. You know, when you have nothing to do and you're sitting on a train or sitting on a plane and you have an hour to kill, you mm-hmm. just you just think about stuff. And Postmates, the idea, I already had the name in 2002. It, it always kept coming back to me. Where'd the name come from? We tried to come up with a name that sounds like a friendly version of the Postal Service. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, the, I- the original idea was a ride-sharing for stuff. Yeah. And we had like MailBuddy or Postmates, you know, what's out there. He was Postal Service, of course, mm-hmm. in Germany, of Deutsche Post. They all sound very official. Yes. <laughs> and we thought, wait, if you do a Postal Service that's like from the people, for the people, yeah. w- you, would give it a, you would give it a name that, that, that signals that. And, you know, Post and Mates kind of fit. So you're a consultant for four years. Yes. What made you leave that, that business? Um, you know, I don't know specific. I think mm-hmm. I just got bored, but I quit my job on the 9th of September, 2009. And okay. that sounded like a great day to do it. And I think I decided that morning that okay. I will do it. And what'd you do? I, I started thinking about what, what should I do next? You know, I had some savings and I still lived in London at the time. So I started, you know, gathering friends, talking mm-hmm. to them. Uh, and it all, it, it, it came back to a slightly different idea. Um, that ultimately brought me to the United States, curated by, which is something we don't need to talk about because okay. it's basically Twitter moments, but uh, a long time ago. I see. Um, and Postmates evolved out of that. It's just one of those things that it was so much on my mind. It, we we realized that we had to do it. Mm-hmm. Curated was like a media kind of company. Yep. How did that kind of pivot or just evolve into a logistics delivery company? Really what, what got us motivated to start it is that we had this fundamental belief that there is no one out there that cares about local retail. Okay. And nobody that can give local retailers tools that they can use to compete with Amazon or big box retailers. And we felt that that is something that we can address, we can get behind with, 
because we had friends working in retail. Mm -hmm. Actually, Sean's, my co-founder's wife, worked in retail. And we just thought, look, let's help these stores. Let's find a way to, let's give you a way to search your city, index the items that are available, and have them delivered. What was the first item you delivered? Furniture. We, we started in furniture, a lot of furniture. Um, uh, I believe that we had every single f- furniture store in San Francisco signed up at some mm-hmm. point uh, because they, they needed someone who delivered these items um, in a city like San Francisco where not everybody has a car. No, and not I, an easy place to drive around. And not an easy place to drive around. So that's how we started. And were you and your founders like in the trucks driving? Or did you hire drivers? How, what was kind of that first you know, scrappy iteration? A lot of it we did ourselves. Okay. Uh, and that actually... Um, that actually is true for almost any function in the company. We, we ran customer service for the longest time ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I remember that Sean and I would take turns. Uh, uh, one of us would, we would call it the board, watch the board for incoming orders, place these orders at the restaurants or stores, mm-hmm. and, and then assist the customer if needed. So I would do it from the morning till the evening. And then one of us would stay in the office until the other person got at home would eat something for dinner, and then that person would run the board until 11 o'clock at night. Oh, man. Um, it was fun at the same time. Yeah. And how, it's interesting because you ha- it's, it's a very complex business. It's a complex technology business, but it's also just a complex moving parts business. And you're not, you're not a tech guy. What, how did you guys build the platform? How did you – in 2011, I'm trying to think, were there, was there iPhones in 2011? Yeah. There were, but yeah. it was the early ones, right? Yep. How did what was the early tech and did you bring in a, a um, consultant? Did you have a, a technical co-founder? Kind of how did you start building this stuff? Both my co-founders are engineers. Okay. So Sean and and Sam, uh, are both amazing engineers. So we were lucky enough to do it all uh, in house. Mm-hmm. And you know I have, I would say somewhat basic design skills. So I designed the first version and they built the first version. And what were you were you designing? What was kind of your what was your your model in your head? It, it was an app that probably closely, it, the, keep in mind, the very first version was designed for the merchants. Yes. So the very first version was a lot more like a square register. So it was an app that reflected that. It mm-hmm. looked like a notebook. Uh, it looked like something where you would write down the delivery details. Yeah. You know. Um, so that's what the first version of the app looked like. Wow. And t- it's interesting because like, the challenge of your business is, is that you're and the value of both is that it's a two-sided marketplace. So you have to go out there and you have to you have to go out and get the merchants and sign everybody up. Like you said, you're serving the small customer. That means you're doing a ton of small sales to get into those places. At the same time, you need to get the actual customer. So you have to get the supply and the demand and get the labor. Like what is like your trick to do that? So it's a three-sided marketplace, uh, uh, which is which is distinctly different from a two-sided marketplace. And you just said it yourself. We have the merchants, you have your customers, and you have your fleet, our Postmates. It is my fundamental belief that when you operate in a three-sided marketplace, that you can use ignoring one player in the three-sided marketplace to your advantage. And for us, that meant the following. None of us are salespeople. You have two engineers and a designer product guy. What can we do to scale this business? We decided to focus on the customer and the fleet. And instead of signing up merchants and walking in stores and promising Mm -hmm. that we're really, really good at delivering their food, we wrote software that would scan the web, s- detect menus, translate these menus into a beautiful-looking app. Mm-hmm. And when we launched with the, the iteration that is now known as Postmates in 2012 to the public, for the first time in San Francisco, you could order from virtually any restaurant. I think we had menus for a couple of hundred restaurants. 100% of these restaurants have not done a delivery before. So our way to scale was to hack and 
we looked like regular customers walking into these stores. So you basically like, I place an order on Postmates, and then you we walk in plain clothes to the sushi place, and just like, I oh, ambassador, I'm here to pick up your order. Yes. And then you get in the, ca- the car and drop it off to somebody. That's exactly what we did. So we were yeah. disguised customers, not because we wanted to be disguised, yeah. but because nobody understood the concept at the time. But it allowed us to scale very fast. It allowed us to prove a lot of things about the business, because mm-hmm. we wanted to know, is there a willingness to pay? Uh, are, is the fleet compensated correctly? And once you have those two things figured out, and you drive a lot of volume, mm-hmm. We went back to the merchants and we said, look, we're Postmates. We deliver your pizza for the last two years. Yep. We would like to have a formal relationship with you because we believe if we can integrate in your point of sale or if we can give you this tablet, there's a lot more efficiency happening. If you give us a take rate, we can lower the price to the customer. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the customers will order more. And that's how the company evolved from there. Is most of the fleet, are they? is it a gig economy thing? Are they doing it part-time? Are they full-time delivery people? How does how does that work and how do you attract that group? They're contractors, very similar to uh, Lyft and Uber drivers. Word of mouth and referrals from within the fleet is the biggest driver to growing the fleet. In building this, it's interesting you had all these different kind of A-B tests and fun experimentations. What was kind of the hardest problem you had to crack? or What's been like the darkest days of, of Postmates? There's no shortage of that. Uh, uh, so, But I think they all evolved yeah. with the company. I, the first pivotal moment for us was when we realized that we now actually have to build a food delivery app. Yeah. Because, we, as you said, we did a lot of these A-B tests, mm-hmm. and the one that we did over a weekend was prepared food. Yeah. Was, actually it, was it furniture to food? It was, it was furniture to food. Okay. That's how it was. But keep in mind that the only reason that we started anywhere is – there was no blueprint out there. Yeah. For everybody who followed us, there was a blueprint, right? Postmates took off, and so everybody else, all our competitors that are out here today, they looked at it and said, like, of course that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So sometimes I tell the story, and it sounds incredibly wild, but if there is no North Star that you can look towards, then you have to f- navigate around a lot mm-hmm. of weird ways sometimes. What other kind of weird ways? I love the idea of you guys going in like plain clothes and just picking up the food and, you know, and dropping it off again. Yeah, i give you another one. If you don't have any relationships with any merchant, mm-hmm. how do you actually pay for the food when you pick it up? Well, you, 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 you can't use the debit cards of the fleet or the, or the credit cards. Mm-hmm. So what we did to scale the company is that my co-founder and I, we bought tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Visa gift cards. Okay. $100 <laughs> $200 Visa gift cards at Safeway. Okay. It's a, it's, an, it's a great experience. I can highly recommend trying it. <laughs> Try using a credit card to buy $10,000 worth of Visa gift cards at Safeway and see what happens. What, the, F- the FBI shows up? Short, short of that, anything happens. Yeah. So uh, police, store manager, I mean, the IRS. So... But that's what we did, and then we handed these out. And wait, did you explain to the the manager and police, like, listen, we're starting a new business. This is how we we pay for the orders. Or do they like what, what would they ask you? Well, first of all, we used a credit card from Silicon Valley Bank, and of course, the transaction doesn't go through if it's if it's that amount of money. So, yeah. And then, of course, you you have a conversation as far as you can um, with 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 the check with the with the cashier, but. It was it was always very entertaining. Okay, but it worked sometimes. It you know, it worked most of the time. It yeah. worked all the time, but you had to explain a lot. But keep in mind, at that time, there was no such thing as a wildly available, easily to distribute debit card that mm-hmm. you could instantly fund with 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 dollars out there. So the the closest thing to that that you could distribute is a Visa gift card. Yeah. We would hand it to the fleet. We would give them an envelope. We would ask them to tally all the items that they buy. 
and my co-founder wrote a script. There's a phone number that you can call to check the balance on these Visa gift cards. Okay. And we did that, and we knew if someone would run out of funds, we would we would get that person to come in. They mm-hmm. would pick up a new card. And this is how we ran the business for three, four months while we try as hard as we can to get something that can scale in place. Any guys drive away with the card? Uh, I mean, a million things happen, yep. of course. If you <laughs> give out free money, a lot of things happen, right? Uh, what's even more interesting is when you are when you need to get another ten, thirty thousand dollars worth of Visa gift cards, yep. and it's eleven o'clock at night, and you know there is only one Safeway open, and you know that you're walking around with twenty or thirty thousand dollars in your pocket. Yes. it's it's not a fun experience. No, and how did you end up solving that? At a fourth layer of, of mobile payments before there's really mobile payments. We found a company called Pax, and they mm-hmm. w- they had a system in place that would allow your you to issue a debit card to an employee. So mm-hmm. the whole system was built for employee expense, and uh, I would say it's fair to say that we heavily abused it and, and, and distributed thousands of them to our fleet, and mm-hmm. we did that for a long time. Is it funny? You think back 2011. That was like a century ago in terms yeah. of, of tech. What has kind of changed in the both in the marketplace since then and what's changed in kind of human behavior? So I'll give you one example of what's changed in the marketplace. Initially, we would also equip our fleet with iPhones or Android phones Mm -hmm. because the penetration simply wasn't that high. You know, that was obviously a huge capital expense. I believe that from a merchant side, I said it before, people don't realize that most merchants, other than in New York, Mm -hmm. on the East Coast, never did offer any deliveries. It's really a, a New York phenomenon that really? these okay. restaurants do their own deliveries. Mm-hmm. Very, very few did so on the West Coast. So uh, I think that's something that changed dramatically because now every restaurant delivers. You see that restaurants and QSR chains heavily lean in. They understand yeah. this is a new and exciting revenue stream for them. And I think the American consumer right now, the great American consumer changes dramatically. Their, their habits are changing. Mm-hmm. They understand that they can have access to better food than just the usual food delivered. Um, and that's exciting. You're feeding people and people's personalities and habits and everything. Um, so much of it can be studied through food. What, uh, what kind of insights do you get? Like, what, what trends are you seeing? What, what are you learning about your customers through their stomachs, I guess? I'll give you two examples. Uh, the first one is somewhat obvious. We all tend to eat very healthy at the beginning of a week, and then that very quickly tailors off towards the end. So you have a lot of burritos and burgers happening on Friday and into the weekend, and on Monday almost everybody is on a very healthy diet. And the number one item... Then by just a but if you were to just count the number of orders that we delivered in 2018 or even 2017 is a side of salsa side of salsa yeah for the chips for every for everything that you can imagine but yeah predominantly for chips and for burritos so if you take the main meal out but just by quantity people order four or five uh, sides of salsa with their order of burritos. So, but just counting the item, salsa is the number one ordered item. It's interesting too. You mentioned that you, you know, the goal of this company was to kind of give the power delivery to like small shops or restaurants everywhere. It's kind of we had this this uh, founder of Shopify in here. Same kind of way to kind of turn anyone into a a mobile like a mobile store if you want. You guys same way. You kind of give mobility to anyone out there. Um, how does it work? Like with with all these giant companies, like whether it's 
it's Amazon or whether it's you know Uber's getting into Eats and all these different things. Like, how do you how does that work? Like, is Amazon better because it kind of help? I mean, not better. Is Amazon good for you because it kind of trained everyone to get ready for on demand delivery, or do you see it as a competitor, or a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, in a market that's very much in demand, you have strong competitors. I personally believe that competition is great for the consumer because it forces every company to be on the top of their game. So from a consumer perspective, I love competition. I think it's healthy. Uh, I think it is a huge part in the history of this country is to compete and compete healthily and create products that are better for the customer. What's kind of the what's like the most exciting thing in your business right now? Is it a tech thing? Is it a customer service thing? Like what? What is like cutting edge and all this movement, all this logistics? All of the things that we've been working on for a long time, right now in this moment, a lot of them are coming together. Um, and you know, the the art of running the logistics business uh, in the food space, particularly, is that you need to do a million things at the same time for a long time. Uh, it's not a thing that you flip a switch and suddenly something is a magnitude better. This will happen over years of work, better understanding of data, better understanding of signals, more scale, and then you see things happening that you predicted that would happen, and that's ex- I think that's extremely exciting to see. And you mentioned before, you know, you're gonna, with this new capital, you're, you're pushing growth. What do you want to grow, and how do you do it? Are you looking, pushing growth for customers? Are you pushing growth for fleet, pushing growth for... Um, consumer, uh, the uh, the retail side, or ever, is it all all the above? We believe that uh, you know customers should be able to get their food delivered faster. So we're working extremely hard on that. Uh, I think the value proposition for the customer uh, is something that we're obsessed with. Um, we also believe that we should invest more in helping our merchants to drive more sales. That's another area of interest. And we're obsessed with increasing the income of our fleet, which uh, if you look at the average income that a Postmates had in, in 2017, it was $18.32. That's across the nation. We paid out over $200 million in income. So making Postmates more efficient is something that's extremely important to us. The company is named after the people that do the work. You have different contractors and you know, these are people that are handling food. These are people that are going into people's houses and doorways. And it's very different when anything that happens in someone's house is, even if it's just like a bad experience or a good experience at the front door, kind of is a lasting thing. How do you onboard your your fleet and how do you kind of vet and how do you train them to you know do that last mile customer service? The vetting process is a background check and, and, and DMV check. At this point, it's industry standard. When we started it, I think Postmates pioneered it. Uh, if you think about food delivery in New York, not a single person here has ever been background checked who, who delivers your food. So no, they I set th- to ride a bicycle and you're all set. And that's, and that's it. So I, th- I think we set the gold standard for what uh-huh. it should look like. And uh, then they have an app that is extremely helpful. Uh, you don't have to be trained to use Instagram. And we have the largest engineering team in our company working on the fleet and fulfillment side. So the goal has been from the start, how can you turn the app that you use to deliver products, how can it be so intuitive and almost game-like that you enjoy using it and that it can help you be better? And how do you deal with, you know, you're kind of the classic middleman in a good way. Um, if an order is messed up, if, I, if they forget my my egg roll or if they get like, I, I didn't want pepperoni pizza, I wanted sausage pizza. If it's the, the restaurant's messed up, how do you deal with that? I don't think we ever messed up a single order. No, never, right? Never. I, I don't think I've heard anything like that on Twitter I wanted that or dressing, social media. I wanted, that, I wanted that dressing on the side. 
I think that never happened. I think the orders arrive 100% accurate yes. all, almost all of the time. No, jokes aside. Yeah, but also a lot of time, it's, I mean, sometimes it might be a Postmates error, but sometimes it could be a third-party error. But you're the ones literally holding the bag. And, and we usually are the ones who, uh, who are being responsible. Yes. So uh, there, is a, there is a beautiful customer service team that we have in Nashville that I'm extremely proud of. Mm-hmm that is doing a remarkable job at trying to mitigate between all sides mm-hmm. and make sure that the customer is happy and uh, that the merchant is happy and that the fleet is happy as well. And you, you were mentioning kind of you wanted to, you know, super efficient routes. What do you use for the technology on that? Is it everyone, is it using like a Google Maps? Do you have your own proprietary software to kind of like lump um, deliveries together so it's less time, less gas, all that kind of stuff. It, it's all of that. Yeah. Like it, it, I think, I think it's around a dozen signals mm-hmm. that we take into account on, on every single order. Um, some of that is traffic information by third parties. Some of that is our own traffic information. That is what vehicle type a postmate mm-hmm. is traveling in. That is the circumstances, how busy the restaurant is. All of these together give us the confidence. How many employees do you have right now? Around eight hundred, just 800. under eight hundred, and those, those aren't fleet. This is just people that work internally. These are these are these are our employees. Yes. And you, how how did you kind of go from as a, as as a CEO and kind of as an entrepreneur from you know you and two buddies you know renting furniture trucks and driving around the city to now managing a team of eight hundred people? How did that role change? How did you learn? When kind of what advice and mentors have you had to help you through this? A ton. And here's what's important. I believe the best advice that I can give is um, you have to change yourself a lot while the company changes and grows. And Mm. there's a lot of assumptions that you may find true a year ago that are not true anymore today. So you have to adapt to new circumstances. You have to grow as a person. Mm -hmm. You have to grow as a manager. uh, And you you have to be very candid with yourself on where you're good at and where you're not good at. And you have to hire really strong people mm-hmm. that help you be good at the areas that you're not good at. What are you good at and what are you not good at? Uh, I, I think others should, should judge me for that. <laughs> what, uh, it's interesting. So you're from Germany. Where in Germany are you from? Munich. Munich. With Forbes, a lot of entrepreneurs, we deal, there's a ton of amazing like, entrepreneurs in America that are immigrants uh, or first-generation Americans. What is it like being um, from another, another country operating in the United States um, does it, you think there's some kind of interesting insight as being a uh, growing up somewhere else and looking in this country as kind of a, not an outsider but just a, a different perspective? I, th- I think there probably are. Uh, I think there may be areas of this world where your perspective really is a lot different. Uh, growing up in Europe and growing up in Germany, I mean, we're so close connected to the U.S. We've yeah. been allies and friends for a long, long time. It's part of the Western world. Mm-hmm. I would think that uh, 90% of our ideals are the same. Yeah. So th- there is a more nuanced view of mm-hmm. the world. But uh, Western culture is so influenced by American culture mm-hmm. in particular that, that, that I believe it is more dramatic of a difference if you're from another part of the world. We used our first Under 30 Summit in Europe. It was great to get that community together. And there's so many European founders and entrepreneurs in America. I and mean, there's a lot in Europe as well, but it, they kind of flock like you did to the States. Do you see kind of the ecosystem at all in, in Europe changing or becoming more entrepreneurial? Or you still think a lot of people are going to be coming to the States to start things? I, I don't think that I have the, the best view on the European startup scene anymore. I, I, as you just said, I hear amazing things. And I would hope that uh, entrepreneurs 
differently. I think entrepreneurs should go where they find the best conditions to grow their business and to follow their dreams. I think that's extremely important. And if uh, other cities emerge as uh, popular places to do that, then I think that's fantastic. I love how you said before you would be on a train and have a ledger of ideas. What would that piece of paper look like? Would it be kind of business plans or it would be like, oh, we need a like ride sharing for stuff? And it was, you know, how in-depth would you get? Personally, for me, it, it you, you would probably look at it and you would think it's like a crazy person left, <laughs> left some notes behind. It's a lot of doodles. Okay. It is it is a lot of intuitive. It's a lot of words. Uh, I am a visual person, so it's a lot of scribbles. Okay. Um, and and it's not it's not very connected, but I find it very liberating to get whatever is in your head just out on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And then you take that piece of paper and you maybe do two or three nice deeper versions later on. And then you take that and you create a digital version of that where you can clarify your thoughts. And then maybe you show it to someone and maybe you refine it and maybe you create a board around it, like a mood board and, mm-hmm. and, and how the how the whole thing can work. It's it's a very long iterative process, but I believe it's important to get to get it out. A lot of people don't have a lot of output and, and I think output is important. That's why I talk a lot, even though most of it makes no sense. <laughs> and going from like that, those iterations to actually, how do you go from having that idea and you said boarding it out and thinking out more to actually, let's do this? Is I, it just like, it's something you can't stop thinking about? Is it a gut thing? Like wh- what goes from paper to actually we're going to build this? Well, most of it goes into the trash can or the bin, right? Yeah. Th- th- that's part of it. If you are, I, I don't. I don't believe that a process of coming up with what you want to do on a feature or a strategy for the business is very dissimilar than the creative process. You just have to create a lot of things. You know, people that are very creative and are very successful, it's not very rarely did they had one idea. I think they created a lot and nothing ever came out of it. That trains your brain and that's important. Mm-hmm. You, you can't write the greatest music score all day. Like there is a lot of things that don't work out. And it's the same for me. You, you just do a lot. And you eventually find clarity in one or two things, and then you hone in on them. Mm-hmm. Were, were there any like second place ideas be- besides Postmates? Anything you almost did beforehand? Or the list is so long, but I, I mean, I have I have ideas for new things all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm a little bit um, wondering if bringing people together and doing something to doing something as a group of people uh, is that something that will go away? And if it goes away, maybe you can create places where people meet and cook together. Hmm. So imagine a restaurant, but it's a restaurant that's basically based on cubes. And you have these cubes, and you can decide before you book a cube or a a cooking station Uh what you want to cook. So you say you can choose from dishes or you can choose the kitchen. So you meet there with 10 friends. You have all the ingredients that you need for like Mediterranean food, Mm -hmm. a couple of dishes. Maybe there's a chef that can help you. And then you guys create that food together. But you do it in a space that has everything prepared where there's maybe not a mess behind. Again, I thought that could be a fun fun concept. No, but if if you have a full bar, you're all set with that. It would come with everything you need. I appreciate all the time. Before we go, I want to hear kind of what advice would you give to someone who is thinking of being an entrepreneur? Maybe they have a job, maybe they're a consultant, maybe they're in anything, but they, they're working for a company and they want to go out on their own. They want to make that jump. What would you, what, what's your advice to someone who's thinking about making this move? I fundamentally believe that the most important thing that a young entrepreneur needs to realize that you can probably be as successful as you want, but you have to be 
very persistent and everything that you believe will take a year probably takes at least twice as long and it's it can be at times very challenging um, when you start up most people don't believe in your idea and you will find yourself in a world where there is always someone that you feel is more successful or has it easier and 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 you think like why is it not coming my way why is nobody seeing my idea and and you know I believe that more than all, more often than not, it's it's not that nobody sees that. It may just be that the time is not right. Very similar to surfing. So you just got to be out there, and if you have the conviction and if you are persistent enough, a wave will come. You will find your way, and and you will have a successful outcome. Persistency, I I believe, is the most underrated skill that you need in order to get what you want. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I want to thank. Uh, Bastian Lehman, the CEO and co-founder of Postmates. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Forbes interview. I'm Stephen Bertoni. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'll see you next week.